0: Welcome to the 93rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a quick overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, recapping week 10 of the college football season, and recapping week 9 of the NFL season. So, let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in the NBA, Patrick went 3-1 with those predictions. In NCAA football action, Patrick went 1-3, and in the NFL, Patrick had a 2-2 even split, resulting in a 6-6 overall even split in this weekend's predictions, which brings Patrick to 220 and 169 overall, a 5.6, 50, sorry, a 56.6% winning percentage. 5.6 wouldn't have been good. Patrick, what are your thoughts?
1: Uh, well, I wanted to start the season off right in the NBA, so I held off on making. Uh predictions week one just because you never know how good teams are gonna be I think I would have gotten a bulls game wrong in there somewhere uh just because you never you know you never really know three games into it uh, and really eight or ten games into it you you still don't really know but um uh, I tried my best to start doing those NBA predictions as early as possible while not you know predicting games that in the end uh in the end of the season look irrelevant so I waited until you know you have enough games to pick some good ones, pick some close teams, pick some high-profile teams, but then also pick them right. Uh, I did a pretty good job of that. However, in college football, even though we're later into the season, that also means that the games get tougher and the teams uh, go through some improvements. Some of them get a little bit derailed. They have some off weeks. Uh, Wake Forest is a great example of that this week. Sam Hartman had a sub-50% completion percentage probably for the first time this season. Uh, normally is a very, very good quarterback. Should have an outside shot at the Heisman, frankly, um, but with a high-powered offense for Wake Forest. Uh, and I went by the same formula I've been going by for a while, which is it really started as a coincidence, but it started working. Uh, and it's picking two home teams, picking two road teams. Most of the time, home teams are the, uh, the lower-ranked teams that I'm picking to make upsets, or if it's a close-ranked game but the higher-ranked team is at home, I'm obviously going to pick that team. And then the road team, normally the higher-ranked team, going into a hostile environment, but it's still going to be a close game. Uh, that's how I ended up picking that way. But this week, I believe every single lower-ranked team uh, ended up winning the game in the games that I predicted, if I'm not mistaken. And I only got one of those right. Uh, I was I was thinking of predicting Purdue. Uh, or North Carolina, but I decided to go with Kentucky as my second home team to win this week. Which, if I had flipped, well, I would have been three and one. But you know what? It's kind of one of those things where I was fifty-fifty on it, and I just happened to guess wrong. Uh, in the NFL, two and two. I mean, there were two games where I thought they were surefire games after we heard injury news that uh, Derrick Henry was going to be out, and then that Aaron Rodgers was going to be out, even though those games were still good games. But That was not the case. Uh, I mean, the Packers still lost to the Chiefs, but the Rams did lose to the the, uh, Titans without Derrick Henry playing in that game. Uh, So that was a surprising loss. And then, uh, I mean, there was still the other game where the Browns, I mean, we'll we'll talk about that one later, actually, so I'm not even going to go into that that much, but the Browns game. And then there was also uh, the one other game that I predicted that I got right, which was the Patriots going on the road and beating the Panthers. Um, But... Overall, not too bad, and uh, we'll see what happens next week when I introduce NCAA basketball predictions, and then we really have chaos, and there's 12 games, um, or no, not 12 games, 16 games that I'm predicting a week. We'll really see what happens there, uh, as I have to split my attention even more than I already am right now.
0: All right, well, uh, that wraps it up for the look at Patrick's predictions. For this week, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday at 4 dot 24com Let's move on to our weekly look back at college football. Patrick, uh, what were the best games of Week 10 in your mind?
1: Well, there were a lot of uh, kind of close games and then some not-so-close games, uh, but there's a lot of results to talk about this weekend. So I'll start with Ohio State at Nebraska, winning 26-17. to 17. Uh, I will say this is not necessarily one of the better games, but... I wasn't necessarily too impressed or too disappointed with any team in this game, but I wanted to talk about it because uh, I didn't expect Nebraska to make this game close, but Ohio State pretty much let them. I think Garrett Wilson's injury was uh, interesting, and you wonder if they knew that the whole week or if it was more of an unexpected thing because if they didn't know that he was injured, then that probably led to some some, uh, miscommunications and, you know, just a lot of general confusion that happens a lot if a player is out immediately like right before the week uh starts so that's a little bit of an issue um but Jackson Smith and Jigba actually set a school record with 15 receptions in this game uh filling in I mean look it's 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 him it's Garrett Wilson uh and it's Chris Olave and they have the number one overall receiver sitting behind them Josh Fleming who made a few catches in this game actually made a nice toe tap toe tapping catch towards the end of the game um but I mean, they have so much talent at wide receiver that it won't even be an issue if it's a long-term entry. I think the only time you'll see it really come up is if it's in a very, very, very close game against a team that has a great secondary and can really stick with one or two of those guys without needing to uh, to put so much attention on, on one or the other that if you don't have all three to stretch the field as much, then uh, the value of, bo- of, the, of the two that are there both go down because naturally... If you don't have Wilson, Smith, and Jigba, and uh, Olave, then you can't I mean, you can't play those three one-on-one. That's just not going to work out for you. But if one of them is gone, you might be able to get away with playing the third guy, whoever comes in off the bench, uh, one-on-one, and that might be favorable to some teams later in the season that are a little bit better than Nebraska. Uh, but Nebraska was not able to limit it, and they weren't even able to limit Smith and Jigba at all. Uh, so still a close game, though, um, and I think that speaks to kind of the wider... Tone this season that there are really no good Teams outside of Georgia I think they're the only Team that has proven Domino themselves teams. as No good teams frankly I think All of these teams are there's no separation I mean look there's a nine point separation Between Ohio State and Nebraska There's a three point separation between Michigan and Nebraska and there's like a three What a, a few calls in the Three in a three uh, point Difference or so between Michigan State and Nebraska and those are the top teams In the Big Ten uh, and I think it's The same way throughout it I mean Yes, sir, Michigan pretty much destroyed Wisconsin. Yeah, that happened a few times, but there are a lot of games where these teams are close. I mean, the next game that we'll talk about, which I guess I'll do a natural transition into, Tennessee was favored on the road against number 18, Kentucky. A 4-4 four and four team was favored against a top-20 team. You can't explain that to me other than the fact that there really are no teams that have separated themselves other than just Georgia. Uh, and I think... Even Alabama being ranked number two, I, uh, I'll, I'll get get more into that game later. But even Alabama being ranked number two by the playoff committee just really shows that there's no one popping off the eye test because all the undefeated teams haven't really been impressive. I mean, we see Oklahoma ranked below Michigan uh, in the playoff rankings, so it, it just goes to show you you play too. Many, every team has played way too many close games this year. Uh, and getting a single blowout is something that's considered valuable. Uh, not speaking of blowouts, but obviously a close game. Tennessee winning 45-42 to 42 over Kentucky, as I was mentioning. Tennessee with that road, uh, I guess it's not really an upset, which is why I didn't put it as one, because technically they were actually favored heading into this game. Uh, but the basketball rivalry turned football rivalry, Uh, heads in the favor of Tennessee. I bet they will flip during basketball season. Excited to watch that start tomorrow, but that's a different story. Uh, moving on to two schools who are not basketball schools. Uh, Alabama, number... They
0: decent teams last year.
1: These two are football schools. Uh, (laughs) Alabama, the number two team in the country versus LSU. Ed Ogeron really pulling out all the tricks, fake punts, whatever. Uh, jump passes by punters. It's... He pulled out a lot of stuff in this game, but LSU in the end uh, had three drives in opponent territory that did not amount to any points uh, in the fourth quarter, and that was their downfall. They only lost by six, uh, which is pretty good showing, and again, a really entertaining game, but Alabama wins 20-14. to By the way, another game that goes to show you that there are no teams who have separated themselves because that team is the team that's doing the best off the eye test, the team that beat LSU by six. Uh, I would like to remind you that UCLA beat LSU by 17. So when you talk about the separation between these teams, there is not much. And you got to go off of common opponents, because that's all you have to really compare. That does not speak well for them. And by the way, Mississippi State, who was ranked heading into this week, uh, they also lost to LSU, and they were a ranked team. And then here's LSU barely losing to Alabama. So, I mean, I guess that speaks more to LSU being at least a half-decent team. Um, but, there, I, again, this is what I'm saying. There's really just not much separation between anybody. And then there's number nine, Wake Forest, who was undefeated, heading into this game against North Carolina, another 4-4 four and four team, and yet the line was only, I think, three points. Everybody knew that even though this was number nine against an unranked team, this game was going to be close. And guess what? North Carolina won 58-55, to 55, the second straight year that Wake Forest has blown a 17-point or bigger lead against North Carolina, uh, and both of those leads in the second half. Just really, uh, Wake Forest does not play defense, I think is the simplest way to put this. Um, they're a team who, in another year with a little bit of a harder schedule, maybe with Clemson being good, would probably have three losses, four losses already, uh, and would be sitting, basically because of their defense, um, and would be sitting pretty low in, that, in their division of the ACC. But the way it comes this year, there are no good teams in the ACC. Uh, this is the best the ACC really has. Uh, and that's still not good enough, and North Carolina was really supposed to be one of those teams heading into the year, uh, but they haven't been like that this year. They just haven't played that well, uh, and they get this upset win, but still, I, I'm, I'm not leaning on calling it an upset just because I think before the season, everybody would have said North Carolina would have won. I probably said they were going to win in my in my preseason predictions, and uh it was still supposed to be a close game, and really, just honestly, a little bit disappointed with Wake Forest's lack of offense in the fourth quarter and complete inability to play defense.
0: All right. Well, uh, you wouldn't call that an upset. So, what were your biggest upsets of the weekend?
1: Well, I think I would only not call it an upset because of the other ranked teams that went down. Starting with Boise State. Uh, another, by the way, theme of this week: four and four teams beating ranked teams. Uh, this is the third team this week that was four and four heading into a game and beat a ranked team. Uh, this one, Boise State on the road, beating number 23 Fresno State 40 to 14. That's not even close. Which is why I'm not go. Which is why I'm not putting North Carolina and Wake Forest in this category. It didn't deserve to be there. Uh, speaking of four and four teams, do you know who else was a four and four team who won this weekend against a ranked team? TCU beat Baylor 30 to 28. This one at home. Obviously, that Boise State game really impressive because it was on the road. Uh, this TCU upset a little more. Uh, or actually, they were three actually, they were three and five coming into the week now that I think about it. Um, but that, that I mean, the upset is it, it's kind of hard to think about how good the big twelve is when this happens because you can't really tell if the conference is just deep, and these teams that are four and four, three and five are just actually good teams who would maybe be in the middle of their conference and another conference or if the teams at the top are just not that good either. Uh, this is a really hard season to judge in terms of that. It's the reason why it's the year of the upset, because I would lean more to that being that there are less really, really great teams. Uh, and Baylor being ranked 12th is really a good example of that, because they just lost you a team that just fired its coach that was there for, what, 30-ish years, something like that? I
0: something yeah,
1: like that. I mean, you lose to that team when you're ranked number 12. Maybe they were looking ahead to Oklahoma a little bit too much, um, because that's their big game on the horizon that will really win them the Big 12 regardless uh, of what they did this weekend. It really doesn't matter because TCU won't play in any of the tiebreaker scenarios because they're not going to get anywhere close to the top of this division. But I think this is, again, just another marker of the fact that the the teams that are near the top of the rankings, there's a clear separation between uh, a higher tier of teams than kind of the middle of the rankings. Um, and finally, Purdue beat Michigan State 40-29 to Uh, Michigan State ranked number three heading into that game. I will say this was the only team this weekend that probably was deserving of an upset to get an upset that did. Uh, Other than, I mean, the four and four teams were not that great (laughs) before this in the season. And Purdue actually has had a pretty decent year. I mean, one bad loss here and there, a a loss to Wisconsin. Uh, And, you know, they, they played Iowa tough. They beat Iowa, actually, when they were ranked in the top five, although that was more of an overrated Iowa team than a, than a very talented Iowa team. I still think the number 20 ranked Iowa team is the same as the number two ranked team, just with, uh, a a few things not going their way as much as they were earlier in the season, uh, and a little bit of an overrated schedule once we realized it late in the year. Um, but still Purdue becomes the first team of all time to upset two AP top five teams as an unranked team in the same season. Uh, but as Purdue likes to do, they will win against the top five team and then lose the very next week, so expect Purdue to lose next week. It'll probably happen, uh, but we'll see. I mean, it, it does play a big role in the Big Ten because that was a game that I think no one expected them to win, but Purdue actually now has two great wins in the Big Ten, uh, When and there's a four-way tiebreaker in that division, so when you want to get down to tiebreakers, one of the things you look at is the record against the best opponent in the other division is way far down on that list. Uh, but Michigan State is near the top, and I bet Purdue will be the only team that has a win over a team that high in the other division of the Big Ten. Uh, but we'll see how that uh, unravels the rest of the season.
0: You know, looking at some of these games, you talked about one of the explanations for uh, teams not really being impressive with dominant wins is for those teams played Nebraska. Maybe is better than we think they are. Maybe that's another topic for us. Let's uh let's move to some teams going from the teams that haven't impressed you to the teams that did impress you. Most impressive teams from last weekend.
1: Uh, Oklahoma State beat West Virginia twenty four to three, and while that might not pop off uh, the the stat sheet as much as you want it to, um, West Virginia had a good upset over Iowa State the week before. They've pulled off good upsets this year, uh, and by the way, the typical four and four team that's the, that's the team you don't want to play this weekend. Uh, apparently, it was the week of the four and four teams, but. Uh, Oklahoma State did a good job of making sure that they knew who they were playing. They knew they were playing a good team. They were actually losing three to nothing in the first quarter. At the end of the first quarter, uh, scored twenty four unanswered and put that game away. Great performance by their defense. Their defense is probably the best in the Big Twelve. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's Oklahoma State taking care of business. And when you look at it, you look at the flip side of it where you have Baylor, who was ranked number twelve. Oklahoma State number eleven. Those were really number two and number three in the Big Twelve. And one of them took care of business against uh, against a three uh, against a four and four team, and the other one couldn't beat a three and five team. So that just goes to show you, Oklahoma State deserves to be put in a higher category than Baylor. Uh, and I think that I think they will be better come the end of the season, and they have a real chance to beat Oklahoma, in my opinion. But we'll get to, we'll get to that one way later when it when it actually comes up at the last week of the season when those two play. Uh, the next one, Notre Dame gets their biggest margin of victory in the entire season with a 34-6 win over Navy. Uh, again, not amazing because Navy's not a great team, but Cincinnati struggled to put Navy away, and uh, you know all the te- all the uh, service academies that run that odd option, triple option, whatever you want to call it, scheme, are th- they were kind of hard to play against and hard to score on a lot, so uh, it- it's a good sign that Notre Dame gets a big margin victory in this game. Uh, moving on to another big margin victory, Georgia winning 43 to 6 over Missouri. That was another 4 and 4 team I think that everybody knew though that Georgia wasn't going to lose to this 4 and 4 team. However, uh they still did take care of business and they really like they really really took care of business. Uh, Georgia does it every single week. Their defense is just it's just insane. I mean, out of the 6 points, 3 of them was, were a fourth quarter field goal in garbage time with backups in. And if you look at how many points George has given up this year, I guarantee you most of the points they've given up have been in the fourth quarter. And while some people may be like, oh, that's a cause for doubting them. No, it's just because they have fourth stringers in. By the end of it, they have the walk-ons on the field because. They already won the game by the time it gets to really the second quarter or halftime for 90% of their games so far. Uh, and that's going to continue for the rest of the season. So if you see a Georgia score, look at the first three quarters and then see the score. However, one interesting thing in this game was that JT Daniels actually played off the bench after Stetson Bennett started. And uh, they both played pretty well. Um, but I actually do think that it's Stetson Bennett's job to keep just because I don't think any number one team in the country... Uh, is going to be switching quarterbacks, but you could see a situation like Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa uh, for Alabama, where if one of them gets injured, the other one is definitely ready to come in and might actually make the team a little bit better. Um, and then last but not least, uh, Texas A&M beating Auburn 20-3. to I mean, that's a great defensive performance. I mean, I, I'm talking about Georgia's defense. A&M might have the second best defense in the country. It is very, very possible. Uh, This team at number 14, I mean, they beat Alabama. They did not beat Alabama because they got lucky. They beat Alabama because they're a good team. Uh, And this win over Auburn, I think, proves that. And other than one field goal uh, in the first quarter, they really did not let Auburn do anything. And the only touchdown of the entire game was scored by Texas A&M's defense on a a fumble. So that just goes to show you that A&M's defense controlled this game, uh, played really, really well, and that's the reason why they won the game.
0: All right, what about your most impressive players of the week?
1: Uh, two players from Purdue I will go with. Aiden O'Connell, 40 of 54, 536 yards and three touchdowns to absolutely torch Michigan State's defense in that game. Uh, really, what we're seeing from Michigan State, even in the win over Michigan, uh, Cade McNamara threw for the most yards in Michigan history against Michigan State. Uh, that is something that you got to look at and you say, where is their defense? Um, Their passing defense is really just not there. I mean, Purdue only ran for, I think, 50 or 60 yards in this game, but it got to the point where at the end of the game where Purdue's looking to ice the game, they're like, why do we even need to run? Let's just make some short throws, make some plays. They were backed up all the way at their one yard line in the fourth quarter, and instead of running the ball, they they just threw an out route to David Bell, and he caught it for 15 yards. Speaking of David Bell, he's my second impressive player. 11 receptions, 211 yards, and one touchdown. Uh, Purdue has a habit of producing one really, really good speed receiver that always plays a huge role in an upset win over a top team in the other division of the Big Ten. Uh, If you think back, you can see Rondell Moore skyrocketing the Heisman boards for the season after. After he completely destroyed Ohio State, I think he had a punt return touchdown and two or three reception touchdowns uh, in a game where Purdue came out of nowhere and beat Ohio State in one of their better seasons. I think they still made the playoff that season anyway. Um, But, I mean, that's what Purdue does. I mean, you said it best this weekend. They're the spoiler makers.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting uh, when Michigan State plays Ohio State to see... Uh, CJ Stroud's line and some of those Ohio State Well receivers. he They're if gonna,
1: if Cade McNamara almost threw for 400, Aiden O'Connell yeah. threw for 550. I think CJ Stroud's on pace for about 700.
0: Yeah, it's gonna be. It could be very ugly. Uh, that's coming up in a couple weeks. Let's uh, let's focus back on this week. But I'm just thinking about seeing these two lines here for these. Yeah, that's you know, not this, a poor, good sign. Purdue quarterback, that's not could a good receiver. Sign. After what Michigan did, and uh, yeah, uh, let's go to the best road wins.
1: Uh, starting with Illinois beating Minnesota, I mean Minnesota kind of crept into the playoff rankings not even on the radar of the AP or the coaches, um, but gets ranked 20th by the playoff committee. Don't ask me why because that has nothing to do with schedule at all has nothing to do. I, I really don't know how they got ranked and why they're 20th over everybody else. I mean, they had an undefeated UTSA team to rank. They had, an, they had a Houston team that has one loss on the season to rank, and they chose the team who lost to Bowling Green to rank. So let's not even get into that. But Illinois beats them 14-6. to 6. I guarantee you they will not be ranked next week. Uh, moving on from that one, NC State, number 19, beats Florida State on the road. Uh, Florida State had been playing okay later in the season. I mean, their close game against Notre Dame was actually kind of who they've become later in the year. They had a little bit of a... Uh, a rough patch after that Notre Dame game, maybe just kind of not playing so well after that disappointing loss, but they've been playing better as of recent and NC State goes on the road and gets a 14 point win. And lastly, Oregon really had to tough out a win against Washington. And I mean, this Washington team is still a talented team. They're not necessarily a great team, uh, but 26 to 16 went on the road. It's better than what happened to Michigan State losing on the road. It's better than what happened to Kentucky losing at home to an unranked team. Uh, same thing for Wake Forest. I'll keep. I could keep going on and on and on. They won by a better margin than Alabama did against LSU, and it's not even a rivalry game. So I'll give Oregon some credit for that win.
0: Yeah, although uh, rough, rough win for Washington, and I don't know. If, I don't know if you lost. Uh, sorry, rough loss for Washington. Some bad coaching decisions at the end of the game, and some bad coaching decision on the sideline. Their their coach got suspended for hitting his own player, so he won't be coaching next week. Really ugly play-calling. It's questionable decision-making at the end of that game. All right. Uh, What are your overall takeaways from across college football from Week 9?
1: Alabama needs to improve a lot for any team in all of D1 to challenge Georgia. Uh, Alabama is really only ranked number two by the playoff committee. I've said this so many times already, but they're only ranked that because of the eye test. They don't have a better resume than half the teams are ranked ahead of, and if that's the if this is the team we're ranking second off of the eye test that just only beat LSU by six, good luck beating Georgia. Uh, Georgia's dominating everybody. Uh, yeah, good luck. That that's all I have to say about that one. Uh, and then to the Big Ten um, in the Big Ten East, there's a three way tie setup that's possible. Uh, probably not too likely to be quite honest, but it is possible. It's on the table. Uh, and look, big wins have to come first to make that scenario possible. And in the end, somehow, even after an early season loss to Oregon, Ohio State controls their own destiny and doesn't just control their own destiny, but actually has the leeway of a loss. Uh, And, you know, they'd still have to make it through some other tiebreakers, but they have zero losses on the season in conference. Michigan and Michigan State both have one. Michigan plays Penn State on the road this week, which is a tough matchup. Michigan State still has to play Penn State and Ohio State later in the season, so they have the same schedule that Michigan does. Um, But... Then if you look at the other division in the Big Ten, you have a four-way tie. But Wisconsin, I think, is going to control this division. I mean, after Minnesota's lost to Illinois, I can't see that team going on the road and beating Iowa. I can't see them beating Wisconsin even at home. Uh, And Purdue already lost to Wisconsin. Wisconsin already beat Iowa. So Wisconsin really has the inside track for this. uh, And I think they're also the best team overall. And they've gotten through all their struggles that were really early in the season. And really, they played a harder schedule playing Michigan. They had to play one of the better teams in the other division. Um, Minnesota played Ohio State early in the season, too, so that doesn't help them. But... Minnesota has not played any of the good teams. They have not played Purdue. They have not played They
0: did beat they beat Purdue. Oh, they did? That's part of the reason they were ranked. Oh, years. right,
1: that's right. That's their only that's their only, <laughs> only good win of the like year though. And something. they still have to play Iowa and Wisconsin, yes. whereas Purdue has gotten through that part of their schedule. Iowa's gotten through that part of their schedule, and so has Wisconsin. If you exclude Minnesota from that equation. Um, and then finally, AM uh will become the biggest Auburn fans in the world after absolutely demolishing them this week, because a&M can actually make the SEC championship game if Auburn is able to beat Alabama. I am putting that on the radar. I am not saying Auburn's going to win that game. Do not ever say that I said that. I'm not saying that whatsoever. We'll see when I predicted what I actually think. But uh, I do think there is a slight chance, probably a bigger chance than in other years. And Auburn has beaten Alabama not with high frequency, but a, re- a relatively decent frequency at some, a, a in the last few years, so uh, I'll give them some credit. And finally, what will the playoff committee do this week with Michigan State, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Oregon, Oklahoma, and Michigan, my opinion, Alabama number two, because that's what they did last week. Oregon, number three, because they move ahead of Michigan State after their loss. Ohio State, number four, because they move up after Michigan State's loss. Cincinnati, number five, because they move up after Michigan State's loss. Michigan, number seven, and then Oklahoma, number eight, because Oklahoma had a bye week, so they couldn't have been any more impressive than Michigan. Uh, They were already ranked behind them to begin with. And then I really think they're not going to let Ohio State be ranked ahead of Oregon no matter what they do for now. Uh, And I don't think they're going to do that with Michigan either, and really i can i just cannot see them saying that in in, in i mean it's you possible michigan state
0: number six. You oh over. yeah
1: michigan state number 6 sorry and then michigan uh, but i really don't see them ranking michigan state i i i could i mean i could see them ranking michigan state then cincinnati then michigan but i would find a hard time with them just saying that a team that just lost only moves down two after losing to an unranked team it would be very odd
0: yeah, I, um, I agree with you. I think the, it preserves the integrity of the head-to-head matchups, sets up a path for everybody. If people win out, they'll still have a path, including Cincinnati. And, but if Ohio State gets through unscathed, it's got w- better wins. Um, I also think this is the Nebraska factor. It makes sense to rank Michigan, Michigan State, and Oregon ahead of Oklahoma in terms of their common opponent, Nebraska. All right, well, that wraps up our look at college football for this week. Let's move on to our weekly review of NFL Action. Uh, Patrick, what were the best games
1: of Week 9 in the NFL? I will start with the Falcons at the Saints. They won 27-25 on a young Hoi Koo uh, game-winning field goal. Very, very interesting. Uh, But actually, the the story of this game was the fact that uh, it looked like Atlanta, while the Braves didn't choke a World Series win, it looked like like Atlanta was going to choke this game. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, although I'm sure Atlanta fans would be happy If they had choked one Falcons game But not the not the uh, World Series But we'll help. move on to that uh, later But I mean, they were up 17-3 Heading into the fourth quarter in this game And the Saints somehow took the lead And forced them to have to go, go down and make a drive uh, With only a minute left, actually To make a game-winning drive To kick the game-winning field goal uh, And they got pushed to the brink by Trevor Simeon But again, good game, fun to watch Uh, even though neither of these teams will probably be making a Super Bowl push or anything like that, especially with the Saints' uh, quarterback issues. Although, the Falcons could definitely make the playoffs in the NFC when you look at the seven teams that that could. I mean, this win right here is actually a pretty good win in the tiebreaker. So, overall... uh, this could even out the record against the Buccaneers could be pretty important. I think you could chew that in as a loss for both of them, to be quite honest. Uh, but if the Falcons could make an upset over the Buccaneers, maybe if they play them late in the season and the Buccaneers are resting players, uh, that could be a way that the Falcons get it in the playoffs. So keep an eye on that. Uh, but other than that, you have the Ravens winning in overtime, thirty-four to thirty-one over the Vikings. Uh, the Vikings had a big play in the first uh, first quarter of this game to Justin Jefferson to take the lead. Uh, A lot of turnovers in this game both ways. Lamar Jackson had two interceptions before he threw a touchdown pass, but he led a fierce comeback with a great drive in overtime. Uh, Gave the to hand it off to Justin Tucker, who will not miss a game-winning field goal under 40 yards. Doesn't happen. Actually, he'll set an NFL record to kick a game-winning field goal. It's just impossible to let him miss game-winning field goals. It's not going to happen. Speaking of game-winning field goals, the Chargers won a game 27-24 at the Eagles. Uh, Kicked a field goal with five seconds left on the clock, I guess two seconds left by the end of the play. Uh, but, uh, so the Chargers finally win a game. I mean, this is a change of fortune for them because in the past they've been the team that has gotten so close in so many games, uh, five and 11 one year where I believe they had 10 losses in one score games and they were two and 10 in those games or something like that a few years ago. Uh, but this is a different team. This team finally has the energy to make those drives to get down the field. And, uh, Justin Herbert is really the catalyst of that, but they have had their luck turn around, and they finally made a game-winning field goal. Something They also missed a lot of field goals in that season I was talking about, too. Uh, but they get they make this field goal. They win on the road against the Eagles. A surprisingly good game, though, because I thought the Chargers were going to beat the Eagles pretty handily. But I guess the Eagles showed some fight. Uh, some good connections between Jalen Hurts and Devontae Smith in this game. Some great playmaking by Jalen Hurts. But in the end, the Chargers win. Better team. And finally, another game-winning field goal. Uh, Pittsburgh wins 29-27 over the Chicago Bears on Monday Night Football behind Chris Boswell's game-winning field goal uh, and behind Cairo Santos missing a 65-yard field goal that from a TV angle looked like it hit the crossbar, but from a different review, actually barely hit the goal line. (laughs) Uh, So... Very very interesting. Even
0: the broadcasting team.
1: It did. Uh, very very interesting end to that game. I guess not really, but uh, Justin Fields looked like he showed signs of improvement. I mean, twenty seven points against Pittsburgh is a lot more than I thought that he could muster up, especially after turning the ball over five times against the Buccaneers, and I think having three points uh, until garbage time. So uh, the Bears are getting better, but three and six in the NFC with the Packers in your division. Good luck catching up, but uh, they, they're getting better, and we'll see what will happen next year.
0: All right. What about the most disappointing teams from Week 9?
1: Well, this is going to come as a surprise to many people, I think, but the Chiefs winning only 13-7 to is the biggest lack of a statement from a team that we've looked for a, a, for a statement from in a long time. Uh, the Chiefs were playing a bad defense. They were playing a backup quarterback. They had the ball plenty of times. They threw the ball 37 times. They ran the ball pretty easily, but they didn't run it enough. Uh, they did, When they passed it, there were a lot of easy drops made by, by some of the Chiefs' big receivers. I think Tyreek Hill only had three or four catches on like 10 targets from Mahomes, so there's they're off there. Uh, they did make the game-sealing throw, and Mahomes made a great throw to seal the game on a third down, but... That's the play that you expect him to make throughout the game on every single third down, not just on the last play of the game. And again, very, very important because he did seal the win, but you need to see more of that from them. And they're not, I mean, this isn't the team that's going to put up 40 points on anybody anymore. But the problem is, this team does not have a good defense. Uh, Their defense has showed signs of improvement. Only giving up seven of the Packers is okay, but. At the same time, you're playing Jordan Love in his first career game. I'm not going to give you any credit for only giving up seven points to a backup quarterback. So I, I can't really give the Chiefs defense that much credit. And then again, they also got pushed to the brink by Daniel Jones and only scored 21 points on Monday Night Football a week ago. So uh, the offense isn't clicking, and this just isn't a good enough statement. And by the way, the Packers do not have an amazing defense that where it's like, that's why the Chiefs didn't score. They didn't score because they didn't play good offense. They had their opportunities. They missed them all. Uh, the next team I will go to, you lose to the Jaguars and you're going to end up on this list. So hmm. the Bills lost to the Jaguars, 5-2 uh, on the season, had a chance to really improve their record, separate themselves in the AFC with the Derrick Henry injury, uh, with a lot of things going on everywhere in the AFC, but they weren't able to do it. Uh, they lose this game 6-9 to nine, uh, to the Jaguars. The MVP of this game was not Josh Allen, the quarterback, but Josh Allen, the defensive end from the Jaguars. He also became the first player to intercept and sack a player with the same name uh, as him in the NFL. I don't know how, I mean, they definitely had that stat queued up for like years. They were waiting as soon as he got drafted uh, in that same class in the first round. They were like, oh yeah, yeah, this one's going to get on a broadcast eventually. Uh, But Allen and the Bills lose, Allen and the Jaguars win. I can't really explain what's going on with the Bills other than the fact that they need to run the ball more than nine times a game uh, to running backs and they need to figure out how to actually run it effectively, because they did not do that well. Uh, and then finally, the Cowboys had it all going for them. They had an easy schedule. They were six and one, they were cruising along. their division sucks. And they get absolutely killed by the Broncos. The Broncos, I think were up at, at this, home. yeah, at home. They were up 27 to nothing in this game. I think actually maybe even 30 to nothing if I'm not wrong. Uh, don't be some, sub- don't, don't be shocked. Don't be, don't be misled by the 30 to 16 scoreline. This game was over like for a very long time. Uh, the halftime score of 16, to nothing, or the end of the third quarter score of 13 and no- of, sorry, of 19 to nothing is probably what you should be looking at. That was what this game was. The Broncos came out and destroyed the Cowboys. Cowboys had no offensive rhythm. Probably the worst game Dak has played in his entire career, uh, although that is coming off of injury. But again, this is what everybody was saying. Maybe he should have rested against the Broncos, and it looks like he probably should have because it didn't do them any good that he was playing this week because he didn't play well. I don't think anybody would have played well. Um, I mean, I I wouldn't rely on Cooper Rush to do anything better than this anyway, but uh, I think he could have taken the extra week off because, I mean, if if this is how he's going to look for the rest of the season you shouldn't have risked it all in the game against the Cowboys yeah, or against the Broncos. Definitely a
0: wasted week for Dax. All right, your most impressive teams.
1: Uh, I'll go with the Cardinals for winning 31-17 on the road with a backup quarterback. I talked about how the Packers only scored seven with Jordan Love, and I wasn't really too surprised. I was really, really surprised that Colt McCoy scored 31 points against a defense that led a team to the Super Bowl two years ago. Uh, the Niners gave up I think 30...
0: Colt McCoy was still in the NFL.
1: I thought they had a backup that was from the XFL the last time I might So because <laughs> uh, I think he played against John Walford of the Rams uh, last year at the end of the year. But, uh, yeah, Kyler Murray was out, and it looked like this would be a game where uh, if you look at the injuries, it looked like the Rams were going to pull ahead in the NFC West as both teams entered the week with the same record. Uh, one team played without a quarterback, and one team played against the Derrick Henry-less Titans, and it actually flipped fortunes. Uh, as the Cardinals won 31-17 on the road against the Niners, and the Rams lost 28-16 against the Titans at home. Uh, Just some really bad play by uh, Matthew Stafford. But I'm actually more impressed with how the Titans' defense got after him more so than I was with how the Rams played overall. Uh, So I put this on most impressive as opposed to most disappointing. Uh, The Titans played a good game. They looked like they actually had a decent offensive rhythm. I mean, a lot of their points were created by turnovers, including a pick six, uh, and also starting a drive on the six-yard line. But, uh, I mean, overall, the Rams do have a good defense. The defense is playing better as of recently. Uh, and they played a pretty good game on offense. They had a good scheme, and I think they played well. So uh, I'll give credit to the Titans for that. And finally, the Browns' defense did a great job at limiting the high-powered Bengals' offense, winning 41-16. to uh, I thought this game was exactly how I predicted it at the beginning of the game when Joe Burrow and the Bengals marched down the field and went to score. But all of a sudden, on a third-and-goal from the three-yard line, instead of being a touchdown pass to Jamar Chase, it was actually a pick-six uh, by Denzel Ward. In fact, he ran so hard on that play that he took an entire series off while getting oxygen uh, <laughs> because he ran so far on the 99-yard interception return. The Bengals had run 20 plays without the Browns stepping on the field for offense, and it was 7-7. to That is not a good formula because that defense looked like they were going to be destroyed because they just had they had no energy left. I mean they were playing out there for so long. As I said, Denzel Ward got a pick six and sat out the whole next series. But it actually was the opposite. The Bengals offense was not able to wear the Browns defense down enough. And on the first on the first series that the Bengals defense went out on the on the field, they didn't even touch the field in the first quarter and then they get torched by Donovan Peoples-Jones for a 60-yard touchdown right after, and later in the game by Nick Chubb for, I think, the second-longest run of the season. Uh, So the Bengals' defense really did not show up, giving up 41 points in this game. A lot of it off of turnovers, just kind of similar to the Titans. Uh, But a great game play to buy the Browns' defense, and that's what I was really impressed with. Uh, So, yeah.
0: All right, what about your most impressive players?
1: I was going to move on there, but I was going to let you... That's where the uh, uh-so-yeah came from because I was about to say that I was going to give... Denzel Ward, my most impressive player, but uh, yeah, Denzel Ward, the rest of the Cleveland defense, 99-yard pick six, three pass three pass breakups, uh, and when he was out of the game, even Greg Newsom did a good job guarding Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase had some drops, so did T. Higgins, but overall, really, really tight coverage. I think the drops were more uh, people being right next to them rather than them being open and just dropping the ball. It was really more them being affected by the fact that there was coverage near them and not, not being able to kind of see the ball as well as they uh, possibly could. Uh, but just a great game play by that defense. Uh, the same could go for Josh Allen and the Jaguars. Uh, Josh Allen, obviously, with that sack, that interception, and, all, and also a fumble recovery on a fourth down that was pretty important. Uh, then I'm going to go with Lamar Jackson, who after his two interceptions at the beginning of the game, really bounced back, ended up 20—at some point in this game, he was seven for 16 passing. Uh, ended up in this game 27 of 41, so went 20 of his next 25. Uh, and then with 266 yards and three touchdowns, I talked about the two interceptions, but also had 21 carries for 120 yards, an insane performance by Lamar and the and the Ravens.
0: All right. What are your overall takeaways from across the NFL in week nine?
1: Uh, I wrote down every single team that has a chance to win the AFC because it really is that wide open. You have the Titans, who have no Derrick Henry, but have the best record. You have the Bills, who just lost to the Jaguars, but probably have the best roster, are the Chiefs back? Can they get back to their form? I don't know. I think the team that's flown under the radar, but really shouldn't have, is it's the Ravens. Uh, they're, they now have the best record uh, other than, no, I think they, yeah, they have the best record uh, in the AFC. So, oh no, sorry. Tennessee does by one, half a game. Sorry, six and two versus seven and two. Uh, but the Ravens really have flown under the radar in, in this uh, in this packed AFC, uh, but I think they're the best team in it for now just because of the fact that the Titans don't have Derrick Henry. I would be saying Titans otherwise, but not anymore. And Josh Allen and the Bills really need to figure out how to develop a run game. Uh, the Chargers factor into that conversation because they could even just beat the Chiefs for the division and take a pretty high seed. The Raiders in the same situation, although it's the Raiders, so they'll probably find some way to mess it up in the end of the season. Uh, the Browns, after the win against the Bengals, look good. Their secondary is finally healthy and it is really, really playing well. Uh, the Bengals, who... Maybe they just had an off week against the Browns and against the Jets. Maybe it's something to come. Maybe it's their defense kind of wearing down. The Steelers, who you could argue, can make a pretty good case at 5-3 uh, at on the year. Uh, they're near the top of the AFC East, uh, or AFC North, sorry, with the Ravens. Uh, and then finally, even the Broncos, after a win at the Cowboys, you don't know how much that was just their defense playing well, or Dak playing badly. I really don't know. Uh, if it's their defense playing well, and that's a sign of things to come, then they are a good team, but I don't know if it, if it's going to be that.
0: Interestingly that they had such a great performance when they traded away, theoretically, one of their best defensive players. But um...
1: And, of course, the Rams lose their first game with Von Miller on the field. Uh, but Well, actually, not <laughs> on the play. field. But uh, then in the NFC, I think Arizona reemerged as the team to beat after Dallas, L.A., Green Bay, and New Orleans all lost games on Sunday while Arizona won with a backup quarterback. I think that is probably the biggest proof that you're the team to beat when – One team gets a quarterback uh, back from injury, that being the Cowboys, and plays at home and loses. One team plays at home against a team who just lost their MVP candidate, and they lose. But you win with a backup quarterback. I think there's no bigger statement you can make. Obviously, the Green Bay loss was expected because they were playing on the road against the Chiefs, which would have been a tough game in the first place, but really was not any, obviously, a lot worse without Aaron Rodgers, but still, I think Arizona deserves a lot of credit because they went on the road and won with their backup quarterback, uh, and I think that just proves how good this team is, even without Kyler Murray. Obviously, they're going to be way better with Kyler Murray, uh, but that just goes to show you, this is a really good team. They're 8-1 and one for a reason. Their defense creates a lot of turnovers, creates a lot of points for the offense. And they have a great flow there, and they have a great. They even have a great running back duo that people really don't talk about much with James Conner and Chase Edmonds, although Chase Edmonds will be out for a few weeks with a high ankle sprain, but James Conner went absolutely off in this game, so I think they'll be just fine if they get Kyler back next week.
0: All right, well, that wraps up our look at the NFL, and it also wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, November 12th, where we will have our weekly deep dive into the latest NBA action. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, the 10th installment of our College Football Top 25 poll, which will be published on Tuesday, Patrick's first NCAA basketball tournament bracket, uh, his predictive bracket, which was posted on Saturday. All of that is on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.